Welcome everybody to Dad Talk Today. I'm your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for being here. We have an amazing podcast lined up for you today. We are a podcast that talks about all things fatherhood. Before we start, please make sure to visit all of our social media websites, our podcast links, rate, review, subscribe, and help us towards the cause that we are trying to do here today. And no matter what you're going through today, Dad, we hope that this podcast leaves you inspired with your head held high. Keep fighting, and tomorrow you will find progress. Stay cool. Stay Dad. This episode brought to you by www.dadtalktoday.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dad Talk Today. I am your host, Eric Carroll, and we want to thank you so much for joining us today in 2020. I'm back from my honeymoon, ready to edit down some more podcasts for you guys and bring some material that hopefully will advocate for equal shared parenting and against parental alienation. I uh, love you guys so much. We've got an amazing interview for you today that we did a little over a month ago with Dr. Craig Childress and Dorsey Pruder. Uh, This was a very high-rated podcast, so I hope you guys will listen and enjoy it. Until then, please make sure to go join us over on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash dadtalktoday, where you can help us do the things that we do. I'm going to go ahead and get into this, man. This was a two-hour interview. Uh, Most of you, if you're into the parental alienation community and read up on it, you know who Dr. Craig Childress is. This was a a really amazing interview. I do think you will like it. So um, without further ado, I bring to you our interview with Dr. Craig Childress and Dorsey Pruder. Stay cool, stay dad, and we will catch you later on down the road. So everybody, welcome to Dad Talk Today. I'm your host, Eric Carroll, joined by my co-host that is back from ear surgery, uh, Mr. Chris Gannon himself. And we have some very amazing guests tonight that I've been very excited about talking to, Miss Dorsey Pruder and Dr. Craig Childress himself. How are you guys doing tonight? Fine, thank you. Wonderful. Excellent, excellent. Absolutely. I'm doing okay. Um been getting through the day. So, so let me ask you a question, Dr. Childers. What is it that made you want to get in this field of study? Um, I'm actually never wanted to get in this field of study. <laughs> I, or, I did. I, I'm pretty much all psychologists swear we're not going to work with high conflict divorce. Right. And so I avoided this field for my entire career. I worked uh, ADHD, school problems, trauma, foster care, every, autism, everything else but this. Finally, I went into private practice, got a single case of this, decided to take a look and see what's going on, and opened the door, brought me over here, and I saw tens of thousands of parents who are in trauma. Massive, massive amounts of trauma. It's traumatic grief. It's a form of complex trauma. And all the targeted parents, tens of thousands of them, are experiencing, I would call it PTSD, a massive amount of trauma. I'm a clinical psychologist. I have ethical responsibilities. And so I kind of took you guys all on as my clients 
<laughs> like pro bono. Right. And I'm heading up your treatment team. Okay. Well, I'm heading you, up your proper recovery team. <laughs> and so that's kind of my personal little thing because I'm a clinical psychologist. And you'll see me say that from time to time. And I'll say, I'm working. I, I'm working. You're seeing right. a clinical psychologist at work tr doing trauma recovery for tens of thousands of parents who are being traumatized by my people, forensic psychology. The whole field of forensic psychology is traumatizing you guys. They're exploiting you and that's got to stop. And so that's what I'm doing over here. Then I met this person. This person <laughs> just shows up. I had, and she, <laughs> she solves the pathology. Well, why don't we, why don't we go into a little bit of backstory here and talk about how you guys first met. And then Dr. Dorsey, I'd like to know how you got involved with this as well. Yeah. First of all, I'm not a doctor, but that's okay. why you call me that. Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, met Dr. Childress in February of 2013. I was actually speaking at a parental alienation, a parental alienation conference in Southern California, and Dr. Childress is in the audience. And then later on that year, a few months later, he was hosting a class for mental health professionals. And so one of my clients was like, was a mental health professional and begged me to go to his class. And I was like, eh, I don't want to go. I'm like, I, he's got the assessment thing down, but I don't know about his solution. And he's kind of haughty and arrogant. So, <laughs> so uh, she dragged me to his class and I went to his class and I was the only one in the class who, again, who wasn't a mental health professional. And I kept asking questions, loved his, what he was doing. But when he got to solution, I was like, well, wait a second, you know, how is that going to work? And then we were, we started to collaborate or sort of have conversations. And then there was a colloquium in my backyard in Long Beach and neither one of us were invited. And so I invited him down and we kind of crashed the party and we met with a couple of other people in the industry and it, over a glass of wine, he said, you know, hey, um, I, I actually heard you speak and I've heard you say you could solve this in a matter of days. I, you know, I, I want to see how you do that. So then I went to his office a few weeks later and opened up my treasure chest of solutions and Dr. Childress said, wow, this is really going to work. And I said, no, it's already working. And so we kind of went a few rounds of um, dialogue. It was about a six hour, I guess, um, first, like really intensive meeting. And then the rest is history. And so now my, my take on that is <laughs> the after after one of my talk, she comes up to me and says, Dr. Childress, I love what you said. Yeah, I'm great. And she says, but I disagree about one thing. Now, she says I'm haughty and arrogant. I am. And she disagreed with Dr. Children. I disagree with you Dr. You don't disagree with her on that, do you? <laughs> like, oh, really? And so she says, yeah, you say it takes uh, like six to nine months to recover these children. I can do it in a matter of days. There's not a psychotherapy out there that can solve this in days. Yeah. Not a chance. Not a chance. But, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to just not prejudge. <laughs> so I asked her a little bit about what she does. Everything, nothing she did disqualified it. Then she comes to my office, she's, and so she opens up her computer, starts to walk me through the protocol. Within five minutes, I know exactly what she's doing. I know exactly how she's doing it. It is elegant. It is simple. It is good. It's strong, and it's going to work. Mm -hmm. It's not like anything we do in psychotherapy. And I said, why would I put my kids through six to nine months of my psychotherapy when this lady can solve it in a matter of days? Simply nice, gentle, wonderful. And so right. since that point, I've grabbed her and and... She's coming along with me because she can solve this. Let me ask you a question really quick, Dorsey. So what does that consist of? How does this process work? 
So, you know, it really depends on where you are in the, in the process, right? So if you're, if you already are experiencing a full emotional cutoff from your children, then you will have to get your children back into your care, um, usually through, unfortunately, the legal system. And we can help you step through using our custody resolution, organizing your data and helping you understand or helping the court understand what's going on in your case. But in the workshop, once you get into the work, shop. Um, it's really a matter of unlocking the different brain centers that have really sat dormant in the child, if you will. And one of the very first things, in, and I'm consulting with a lot of mental health providers right now that are, are seeking my consultation because they are doing reunification therapy um, unsuccessfully. And um, one of the first things I tell mental health providers to do is to put a moratorium on the past, to stop talking about the issues from the past because it's delusional. Right. So a lot of times when I when clients come to us for um, or come to me for consultation, you know, one of the things that's happening is the therapist is is reinforcing the inverted family hierarchy. So if you're in therapy with with a mental health provider and your children, um, one of the most important critical key components, the very first thing is to is to reset the family hierarchy. Parents are parents and children are children. So. For those of you who maybe not can never get to a high road, you know, if you're already in therapy, there are things that you can do right now. One is to show up, you know, happy, healthy, and whole for your children. But if you're in therapy is to, is to control the narrative in therapy, have conversations with the people that are treating your family to say, these are the people I've been consulting with. This is the treatment I'm seeking. Can you do it? And to ask for a moratorium to be placed on the past, it immediately removes the child from the psychological battleground, right? It takes the child mm -hmm. immediately out of the middle and it puts the parent back in the driver's seat. So I would imagine there's a lot of people that are listening in and, and where they go to the therapist's office and the therapist is forcing the beloved parent to apologize, apologize, apologize for what you've done. And even though they haven't done anything. So if you have done something, you should always <coughs> apologize for things that you've done. But 99% of the time, nothing's been done. So the pair, so the, therapist is allying with the pathogenic parent through the child. And so if you apologize, then the child says, well, it doesn't matter what you say. I'm still not going to your house anyways. And then they give another stupid reason, right? So they, the target keeps moving and the parent is now sitting on the floor. I mean, I've actually worked with families where the therapist has put the parent literally on a pillow on the floor and had children sitting above the parent in chairs, you know, airing their grievances with the parent. So the importance of keeping the parent elevated in even physically in the room in a chair and not but on the floor is critical. I, I think parents understand that. It's the right. therapists who don't. Right. And that just makes my head explode because right. everything she's talking about there is, is absolutely spot on. But for me, it's <laughs> therapy starts with diagnosis. Mm -hmm. the, the treatment for cancer is different than the treatment for diabetes. So in order to treat, you have to know what the diagnosis is. So what's the diagnosis? This diagnosis is a delusion. It's a mm -hmm. delusion, persecutory delusion. All the parents know this. The child is accusing the targeted parent of being an abusive parent. That's nuts. That's not mm -hmm. true. That's nuts. 
The technical word for that's nuts is a delusion. <laughs> and parents know it. And they're right. It is a persecutory delusion in the child. But it's not the child's persecutory delusion. It's the alive parent. I think parents do know it. But unfortunately, you as parents and we as consumers trust the people that we're paying money to to recover our families. So we trust the people that have letters behind their names as psychologists or, or LMFTs or therapists or counselors or whatever, just like we trust our lawyers, right? And one of the things I say, there's a couple things. When people hire a lawyer, I remind people, your lawyer is a very expensive blowhorn in the family court system. So you better be very careful and succinct about what you're putting through the blowhorn, right? right? So if you don't explain to the lawyer what's actually happening in your family law case in a very easy to understand, succinct way, then all of the sudden you're in family court and your lawyer isn't presenting the proper case for you. And we're expecting lawyers, legal professionals, to solve a mental health crisis. So the only way they're going to do something like that is if you empower them. Sorry, my dog is like going it's okay. He is, they got it. something to say. Is yeah, he's he says exactly. <laughs> That's what <she> said. <laughs> So we have to empower them authentically with and, the, with the right information. And the reason the lawyer, the reason the court's failing is is because they're trying to solve a mental health problem. Right. And the reason the mental mental health people aren't solving it, they're That's not right. stepping up to solve it, and and so it's a fundamentally it's an us thing. Yes. And so we we need to to alter that um, and make parents informed consumers more informed than their attorneys, more informed than their mental health professionals. Exactly. Let me ask you a question, Dorsey. What is the success rate for somebody that's going through this with you? Success rate of what? Uh, it was one of the questions we had for the people that go through um, the course that you was talking about. What is the success rate for the parents? That so, do so the high road is probably what they're asking. We okay. have successfully recovered every single child that's come through the workshop in the during the high road. The long-term success depends on the maintenance care provider's ability to maintain the um, stabilization of the child after the workshop and also the legal system, their ability to continue to protect the child if the um, reintroduction of the pathogenic parent happens too soon or even if it happens at the appropriate time to understand what the signs are if the child is not ready to reintegrate in an unsupervised environment. Right. So the goal is always to get the children back with both parents in some capacity. So I guess it depends on what your definition of success is. And um, But every child that's come through the high road that's worked in the workshop with me, we've recovered the authentic child in the two to five days um, amount of time. And that means a parent-child relationship with the target parent. Yeah. And she collects outcome measures on this. Mm -hmm. So okay. she can document for every single child that it is successful. And do you realize what a 100% success rate, how phenomenal that is? We can't get close to that in psychotherapy. Right now, forensic psychology, I'd say their success rate is zero. I'm not sure of any families that are being recovered by any psychologist person. And this lady is getting a 100% success rate with a non-psychotherapy -psych method. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it works. And I believe it. And, and I know I've You've followed it. for years. Yeah. I've seen, I've accepted one client from her. I've seen the recovery that she accomplishes. It's lock solid. Um, and so, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing.
I think one thing we're neglecting is, is we're assuming our audience knows that if myself, a, a father who, let's say yesterday, I went through a horrible separation or divorce, mm-hmm. and I, I come to Dorsey and, and Dr. Childers, and I say, hey, you know, what, what can you offer me? What does that process look like? Um, like a detailed, like from start to finish, like what does that process look like? How am I handled? Which portal are you coming into, mine or Dorsey? Yeah, I would imagine imagine both of you guys, because you you guys kind of work together, right? No, no. (laughs) Sometimes, but that's that's a good clarification. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that both programs operate? Okay, so I'm psychology. We do assessment and diagnosis and psychotherapy. Okay, she's trauma recovery. She recovers children from child abuse and and complex trauma with a workshop, a psychoeducational workshop in a matter of days. Then she passes off to psychology for the follow-up care. If they don't get a high road, then we just left with the psychotherapy people. But if you come into her, she's going to be doing a lot of, she has a lot of additional coaching uh, parent skills training, a lot of additional works that she, she does. What she will send over to my world for, psychology world, is for the assessment and diagnosis mm-hmm. and then the treatment plan, okay? Because the diagnosis guides treatment plan. So the diagnosis would then be, for this pathology, it would be child abuse, a psychological child abuse for the child. The pathology is actually, at the core, it's an IPV spousal abuse, domestic violence spousal abuse. This is you, this is the spousal abuse of the targeted parent using the child as a weapon. That's what the pathology is. But in weaponizing the child, such severe pathology is produced in the child as child abuse. So that's my domain. You, you send the child over to me or to my psychology world, and I can help the psychology people do the assessment and the diagnosis, ultimately come up with a written treatment plan. Right. But Dorsey's world is a different world. And so we, we really meet the divorcing parents need wherever they are in the process. So if you're just starting out, maybe uh, um, you'll need a mediation. So I'm a mediator. We have trained mediators that we've trained and we and we collaborate with. Um, maybe you're already in the divorcing process, but you're looking for a uh, some help creating your co-parenting plan or facilitating the co-parenting plan or or really you, you maybe you're on the track of starting to experience a little alienation, right? The children are starting to not come on your parenting time. That would be the beginning part where we would work with you. Um, we'd assign you to one of our coaches and really help stabilize you. We have we have step-by-step methodology. I just, I'm a coach, so that's the way I roll. And I like to say, well, here's where you are, how you got here, cool, but here's where you are. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And then these are the things you need to do to get there. Um, then if you're already in the legal system and it's um, you're maybe you are experiencing emotional cutoff or the kids are they're coming but they're not spending time with you they're going straight to their room then um, and you need help with your legal case we have a custody resolution where we actually data tag based on several different things so the diagnostic indicators that dr. Childers talks about in child psychological abuse we are trained in um, determining intimate partner violence so we use the assessment um, from for intimate 
intimate uh, partner violence, so domestic violence, all other kinds of child abuse. We really take the data, your evidence, if you will, and we tag it based on um, what we know to be true in these cases, what we know demonstrates abuse. And then once we have the data, um, we actually write what's called a narrative. So we work with the legal team on the narrative and they wrap the law around your family situation. And and we really, during that process, assign a coach to our clients. So you're working with a one-on-one coach, somebody who's trained with me personally, who's going to walk you through a process of really stabilizing your family, stabilizing yourself, really recovering your own authentic child within you so that you can show up happy, healthy, and whole for your children. And what we've discovered is we're actually preventing the need for a high road. So the training and the coaching that you're getting that some of our clients are getting in the um, CRM are actually, they're able to prevent the alienation from taking hold or they're able to reverse it. So there's no need for a high road. And the high road is our four day intensive workshop that gets court ordered all over the world. And um, it requires a protective separation. It requires a lot of um, legal strategy. We work with your lawyer to get you there. Um, you have to qualify for that. You can't just call us and say, I want a high road. We actually need to vet the family to make sure they qualify for a high road. And then exciting in the last couple of days, I've actually been, I spoke at a mediation conference, which I love mediators. They're super collaborative. And um, in that conference, I've now gotten a couple of families referred to me that are willing to come and participate in a pre-divorce workshop where I'm helping them with their their parenting plan. We're going to introduce the parenting plan to the children together. There's already some sort of alienating behaviors happening in the intact family in the home. So we're talking about a strategic plan, a quasi type high road prevention before the family even separates in, you know, whether they're going to nest or move into separate homes so that everybody's on the same page from the beginning. So even though there's already the pathology in the family and the intact family, this mediator heard me speak and really has a desire to resolve this. And so we're like working a a workshop um, and this is the second one I've gotten in the last week. So I'm really excited about creating prevention. So the goal is to, I hope I never have to do high roads, right? I'd, I'd love to get to a point where that's no longer necessary, that we can actually teach these families how to be in relationship with each other, even when one, and in some cases, both parents are pathogenic. That happens. We we get that a lot, actually. Narcissistic dad, borderline mom. Exactly. The other, the other way, though, we do work together in one link. Yeah. With okay. her custody resolution method, she talks about tagging the data, those emails right. and text messages sure. and all the stuff, for the three diagnostic indicators and the associated okay. the signs. Because she does that, she can then send that data tag uh, frequency count over to me for an interpretation. Right. I can say, if this is true and if this is accurate, then this is what it means. And so I produce, what, about a 20-page report most, most of the time? Sometimes more. Sometimes more. Sometimes they get the 40 pages with, with append, a few appendices and stuff about her tagging thing. Right. And so because what it will ultimately recommend is this needs to get assessed by mental health professionals specifically for this type of pathology, mm-hmm. specifically right. in this way to give guidance as to what needs to be assessed. So I'm over on the psychology side. 
when people contact me through email, unless they're really clear that they want my testimony for court or something, and if their attorney gets a hold of me and says, we want you to, okay, that's fine. But if a parent comes, I will typically direct them over to Dorsey first. Right. Because she knows where I'm at and what, <laughs> if, if they need a diagnosis, they need treatment or something, she'll get me involved working with the therapist or working with the other people. She knows how to use the mental health link. And so, but she provides a whole lot of other coaching and solution stuff. The whole desire is to keep, get this out of the court system, mm -hmm. right. get this solved, de-escalate everything and keep it low early. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Right. One of the questions that I'm getting here, guys, is they're, they're, they're asking, they say narcissists don't cooperate willingly. How do, is there certain things that you can do to get them to actually sit down and play nice together? No. <laughs> um, no. And, and here's here's the thing. Yeah, she'll say sort of. Here's the thing. Narcissist and borderline, the variants of the same pathology, mm -hmm. are both trauma pathology. It's unresolved trauma. Now, back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, we didn't realize that, but we saw these characteristic features. So we called it personality disorders. Right. Actually, where it comes from is unresolved childhood trauma in the attachment networks. Mm -hmm. And so you're now asking, does a person with unresolved trauma, that they don't participate willingly? You're right, because they're trying to avoid the pain of their childhood trauma. They're externalizing, they're putting it out there. Right. If we know how to properly get there, potentially we can activate them into a solution as well. Mm -hmm. We have to reconceptualize it though, away from personality disorders into unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. This right. is a family pathology. Murray Bowen, the family systems therapist, talks about these emotional cutoffs, which is what the rejection is. It's, it's a technical right. phrase, emotional cutoff. And that is a, a symptom of multi-generational trauma in the family that's not being processed. We know that. Right. And so if we look at instead of a two person parent child conflict or all these kinds of things, if we look at this as a family, this family has trauma that's that's not being resolved. We need to get in there and fix it. And so there potentially there are ways to do this. But boy, oh boy, um, the narcissistic and borderline, they are a handful. Um, the, the traditional in psychology, the traditional rule of thumb is you only have one borderline on your, your caseload. Because they are so labor intensive. <laughs> Narcissists wow. never show up to therapy because they don't like to self-reflect. Yeah. Because uh, th then they have to look at their own inadequacy and they will run from that. I missed the memo. Yeah. So, so I, I, I do have a question. With all that being said, I, I think personally myself, I'm I'm dealing with a you know a, a custodial parent who was diagnosed in the military, narcissistic with border, borderline personality disorder. And anybody watching this, like Unless you have that official diagnosis, you don't know. But for somebody who is dealing with that type of person, I think it's essential to realize that that's stemming from trauma in right. that person's past, in their family. And like you said, even generational trauma uh, that has been handed down. So what are some tips and pointers you could give people like myself or anybody listening or perhaps somebody who is that victim of the trauma who's alienating a child, like what are some tips you can give those people uh, to kind of help each other? Yeah. So um, one of the things um, 
the very first thing is to stop engaging in it. So don't engage in the conflict and um, lead with when you're communicating with iMessages. So a lot of people, I read these emails all of the time back and forth between parents and it's you did this and you did that and then you did this and then it's well, but you did that and you did this and you did it's this whole, you know, everybody's pointing fingers. And so you're acting and reacting in the swirl, I call it the spin zone. And so one of the ways to lead people out of trauma is to first lead yourself out of your own trauma, probably from being with somebody who has a, um, you know, traumatic childhood. And um, the other way is to show up with empathy and to lead with I. And, you know, I would like and or when you anchoring the feeling into you, what's happening to you instead of them. And so if you can lead them with always from you, right? How is it impacting you? I feel right. Then you're taking them off the defense. But the moment you lead with, well, when you did this and then you did that, um, you're, you're always going to put them on the defense, which also would keep you on the defense. The other thing is, um, one of the things I see parents do all the time is when the children are with the pathogenic parent and they're entrenched in or enmeshed in that relationship, they're always asking permission for, you know, of this parent. They're, they keep elevating the parent, the other parent, and they're, they're buying into the narrative that somehow they have to ask permission to spend time with their children or to show up at baseball or any of those things. So it, it's funny when I start to coach people, I start looking at how are they <coughs> What, what, from a psychology perspective, the um, I describe it as, as doing a dance, right. and we try to coordinate that dance. Most of us can coordinate. In this case, though, um, the the uh, allied parent, the narcissistic parent, wants to do the tango, mm-hmm. and they're so consistent in the tango that we wind up doing the tango with mm-hmm. them. And right. so we are trauma resonant to them. Mm-hmm. And what Dorsey's talking about is we need to do a waltz. And we need to do the waltz more firmly than they do the tango. Mm-hmm. Right. And to stop being trauma resonant. Mm-hmm. Now, no offense, but there's a reason you married your ex-spouse. Mm-hmm. There's a reason all the targeted parents chose that person, which is that they're trauma resonant. Mm-hmm. There are micro traumas within their own world that fit. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is alter that fit so it doesn't re- resonate. The trauma, then again, this is a trauma pathology. It mm-hmm. loves to fight about everything. Mm-hmm. And right. it's so hard not to fight. How do you fight? How do you not fight with Hitler when he's sitting in Paris? Right. I mean, it's a hard to not fight with these people mm-hmm. because they're so belligerent, so argumentative. So, but that's exactly what we have to do. We have to step out of the fight place. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we get triggered into fighting is our own fears. Mm-hmm. It's our own fears that trigger us that we have to do <laughs> rather than saying calm. And so a little plug over Dorsey's got a parenting program, higher purpose parenting that helps targeted parents look at themselves and their own triggers, not that they're causing anything, but to remove the trauma resonance Mm -hmm. that will then disrupt the whole locked in system in play. And, Mm -hmm. And so mental health people would do well to learn a lot of the skills that Dorsey teaches. So a lot of that is all about clearing your own, I I call it clearing your own head trash or clearing your own path. And um, one of the first things I say to people when they start working with me is welcome to the party, the disengagement party, which means disengage, 
to re-engage instead of enrage, right? So you can disengage from the narrative, the dialogue, the way it is. We get so panicky that we feel like we gotta respond to everything. And then, you know, they're taking my children, am I gonna respond? And this is back and forth, back and forth. It's like, it's okay to take a step back, disengage and re-engage from your authentic self, from a place of calm. And it's really funny because I read the the emails and I always see as people start to clean up the way that they communicate, um, the pathogenic parent will say something like, you must be working with somebody because they're trying to denigrate. They, I can tell the type of pathogenic parent there. They try to denigrate you like, oh, you would never be smart enough to figure this out on your own, which then also triggers the parent like that. Oh, my God, they know I'm working with somebody. And I'm not smart. And it's like, no, we know they're going to say that because they can't figure out why you're showing up the way that you're showing up. You're actually reparenting yourself and you're reparenting the other parent, if you will. We have these wonderful things in our brain called the mirroring neurons. So however you show up in the world, people will show up and mirror to you. So if you show up for with empathy for your kids, they'll show up with empathy for their parent, right? And, and if you're having contact with your children and they show up and they're the typical, you know, little toxic beings when they come into your house and they're, you know, vomiting all these terrible things to you and you're like, good Lord, what has happened here? You know, I call it emptying your trash can, line your garbage can with a nice smell good liner and let your children empty the garbage because they've been poured into by the pathogenic parent because they have no place to put it because the pathogenic parent is acting like a child and they're triggered into their childhood trauma. So let them dump it into your trash can and just don't forget to take it out. And what parents are now reporting back is after learning that skill and stop taking it personally and responding to it, the kids are actually taking instead of all day to stabilize, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, give them space, let them go into their room and just sort of decompensate and then come back and engage. If they're throwing up garbage all over you, do not react to it. Most parents want to get into the place of you will respect me and all this stuff, or you're completely destabilized, right? And, you know, you kind of cower and you let your kids call you names, right? So I always say, let them put the garbage in, take the garbage out, have a conversation when you're out of the spin zone. So we're always trying to solve problems when our um, right brain is spinning and we're filled with cortisol. Just take a breath. Give them some time to relax into it. Your kids love you. They've always loved you. They've never stopped loving you, even though they're terrible and they say terrible things to you. They actually love their parent and they love you and and they have chosen you. You are the chosen parent because they know you're the one capable of leading their family out of the trauma. So it is up to you. Your kids don't care about me. They don't care about Dr. Childress or, or anybody you've ever had on the show, unless that's their parent. So outside of that, they don't really care about any of the people. They care about you and they need you to step into the leadership role in your family. But you can only do that if you resolve your own complex trauma and you show up in a place of stabilization and from a place of empathy. And I get it. It can be very challenging to be empathetic with somebody who's pathogenic, somebody who's narcissistic, somebody who's falsely accusing you of stuff, somebody who's said all the most terrible things about you and turned your own community and maybe even your own parents and everybody against you, right? But empathy is key. And if you visualize them as their three-year-old self and that something happened to them, 
And you can, you can put them in a box like that. It'll help you show up differently. Because the narcissist and borderline is extremely insecure. Mm-hmm. Extremely insecure because of their childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so they present as all big and strong and dangerous because, <laughs> because they want to intimidate other people and I'm dangerous. And if you respond and they trigger their fears in other people. Right. And so then they respond out of the, their own trauma fear. But if you can stabilize and realize that they're just an injured human and a small human and recognize your own power, if you can stay stabilized Mm -hmm. out of your fears and stay in your security of what you know to be reality, and it really helps to have a therapist who also understands that. So let's discuss one thing. So we talked about like possibly getting this early, okay, before that's your preference, before before there's alienation that occurs, or maybe a little bit before it goes into court, I'd be willing to bet that 80 to 90% of the people listening to this are people who've gone through that process of court already and are in the, you know, five to 11 years range of being an alienated parent. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Okay. 11 years ago, had a custody battle, lost custody of my child, been alienated from that child. And about three years ago, I had a breakdown. I was diagnosed with CPTSD, okay? That breakdown, when I went myself, I didn't get a DUI, didn't do anything, went and said, hey, listen, I'm not dealing with things okay. I'm suicidal. I miss my kids. I don't have money. I'm sleeping in my car. I went to a mental health institution and asked for help, was diagnosed with CPTSD, and started the healing process, started understanding what was going on with me. Um, and one of the first things that the psychiatrist or psychologist told me was, you're, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. What you're experiencing is, is situational. Everything going on around you is, is causing this problem. And, you know, I'm going to teach you coping mechanisms to deal with it. So now here I am, I've, I've, I've gotten help for myself, but I'm still alienated from my child. And, and obviously, I needed help, okay? But it was used against me in court at that point uh, to further distance me from my children, despite the fact that, you know, I said I need help. So what advice would you have to somebody like me? Because a lot of the people I talk to in our community have gone through the same thing I have. And I've always said, it's like running up to somebody, punching them in the face, watching them fall on the ground and say, look, that person is not a capable parent because they can't even stand on their own two feet. They're crying and rolling around and look at how crazy they're acting. Uh, What's your advice on that? This this is the most savage and brutal form of IPV spousal abuse I have ever seen. It is the worst form of of abuse. I've worked foster care. I've worked with kids who've been beaten with electrical cords, Kids who have been pushed into fireplaces and have burns on their back. I, I, you know, the neglect kids with the meth moms. I've worked with the most severe forms of trauma. This is the most brutal and savage form of, of spousal abuse that I have ever witnessed. I would estimate that perhaps upwards of 80% of the parents have post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. complex trauma, traumatic grief would be my formal diagnosis. If a parent comes into my private practice, that's typically the diagnosis I will give to the targeted parent. It's PTSD, complex trauma, traumatic grief. And the child will get the child abuse diagnosis and a shared delusional diagnosis. The allied parent might get a factitious disorder imposed on another, which is the Munchausen. 
my right. diagnosis as part of the constellation. I recommend that all parents, I'm, if I'm in heading up the trauma recovery team for parents, I would <coughs> recommend that all parents get their PTSD assessed and treated. Now, what's the treatment for complex trauma, traumatic grief? to restore the child's relationship with a parent. Mm -hmm. So if you have not accomplished that treatment, you're only halfway through. Mm -hmm. you, it's, like treat, it's like teaching a child who's being sexually abused to cope with the sexual abuse. Right. That's not treatment. Right. Teaching a child to cope with being beaten with an electrical cord is not treatment. Mm -hmm. Getting the abuse to stop is treatment. Mm -hmm. And so that's the failure of professional psychology. And until professional psychology steps up and starts doing their job, parents are going to be abused. Children are going to be abused. That's a fact. And until you know, Dr. Childress, I, I really thank you for saying that. And that makes me feel so much better because I went to court for my son in March and had an evaluation that on me by the state. It wasn't even a completed evaluation. It was a quarter of an evaluation. And that evaluator sat there in court and declared that it is not possible for me to have PTSD that I was diagnosed with due to being alienated from my child in a custody battle. Those were her exact words. She's an um, idiot. Yeah, She's an well, idiot, incompetent professional idiot would be yes. my, my, my professional assessment on that. It is absolutely, you know, you obviously know how horrible it is to have a child die. I mean, that's what essentially it is. You used to have a child before the divorce. Now, after the divorce, you don't have a child anymore. That child is essentially dead. That's traumatic, but you can't grieve your child because your child's not really dead. Right. That's traumatic grief. It's a, it's continual day in, day out, complex trauma. Just, just grief, 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 every single day. For child, abuse. Child, child abuse. Child abuse. abuse. It's, it's, it's the most savage and brutal form of, of abuse I've seen. And this has to stop today, yesterday, 10 yesterdays ago. I, my head is exploding on this. So for yeah. you, are you having time with your son or your children? I don't even know if you have a son or a daughter. But. I actually have a son and a daughter. Um, I yeah. have my daughter that's different mothers. Um, and, and they were born very close to each other because I, my daughter's mother and I kind of got together after my son's mother and I split during the custody battle and I had no business dating anybody, but I have my daughter once a week. Uh, my son's mother actually moved him about six or seven states away um, despite us having a nine year standing custody order, which obviously is just a suggestion in the Maryland courts. Mm -hmm. um, so now my son, I maybe see him at the most once or twice a year. Uh, you like, can you talk to him and stuff like that or no? Uh, he, he has a lot of activities that he does in the evening that, that are more important than, you know, his relationship with his father. So I, I might get to talk to him once a week for five minutes, maybe if I'm lucky twice a week. Um, but so, it, it's, you know, one of the one of the things I figured out is exactly what we were discussing before is the trauma that occurred in the other person's life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not necessarily something that I'm equipped to go to that person because of our personal relationship and say, Hey, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about why you're doing this. Like, you know, you're, you're oh, upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and me knowing, seeing that, that medical military file where, you know, this person was diagnosed with this, 
you know, that diagnosis is there and it's been left untreated. Unfortunately, they would not let me use that medical file in court because it was ownership of the military it, base. It, it shouldn't matter on this. Yeah. And, and oh, here's, I agree. Here's why. Um, it is, uh, my client is the child. My client isn't the parent. And so I'm not here to diagnose the allied parent. I'm here to diagnose the child. And it's the severity of the pathology in the child will tell me where it's coming from right um i each each form of pathology has a different symptom pattern adhd has about five different patterns um autism has about you know five seven different patterns trauma will have three or four different patterns right this pathology this using the child as a weapon of spousal abuse has a very, very specific pattern. Mm -hmm. And and so you look at it, and it's a delusional disorder, shared delusional disorder, then you see the narcissistic symptoms in the child, attachment bond suppression, it's a dead lock, you know, right. on, in terms of symptoms. And so it's easy to diagnose this pathology just looking at the child's symptoms. And so we don't, and, and ultimately we're gonna wanna restore the family and put everybody back together. So if we don't have to like, expose the pathology of the, the narcissistic borderline too overtly, that's a good thing. Right. But we do need to protect the child. Mm -hmm. And if there has not been a diagnosis, um, a trauma-informed diagnosis, then these mental health people are failing. And, and so you're sent, they're essentially either not diagnosing the right. cancer because they're not testing for it, or they're diagnosing diabetes when it's cancer because they're ignorant and the patients are dying of cancer. Right. That's malpractice. And that's, that's a violation of about seven different ethics codes. Right. This is really serious. What's going on, the professional level of ignorance and incompetence in forensic psychology is massively, massively serious. Right. And so parents are being abandoned. And the reason they're being abandoned is because they're being exploited. Mm -hmm. All of forensic psychology is simply exploiting your families for the money. Right. Well, and a lot of us have that perspective about the family law courts as well. Um, that the family is not your therapist, right? Okay, they do what they do. Mm -hmm. They're going to be brutal. The worst sentence. The worst sentence starts with the court said. Right. As a clinical psychologist, any sentence that starts with the court said is a bad sentence. We need the court out of families. Mm -hmm. However, these narcissistic borderlines are massively high conflict. They will drive it into court. What the court right. needs to do is is well, they have to get proper information out of psychology. That's foundational. Right. The court can't, can't diagnose pathology. Psychology does. We need to come to the courts with an accurate diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Child abuse, IPV, spousal abuse, we need to protect the child. We need to protect the parent. Then, we, then from that, we then restore the family as we would do with any form of child abuse. When people ask me about treatment on this, there's four diagnoses of child abuse in the DSM. Physical, sexual, neglect, and psychological abuse. All of those are equal in severity. Right. In fact, I would rather have a child physically abused and beaten by an electrical cord than psychologically abused by a borderline narcissistic parent. Borderline's the worst. Because the psychological abuse destroys the child from the inside out. Right. The physical abuse, the child is, is broken bones, but those heal. But right. the psychological abuse goes from the inside out. So the DSM, the American Psychiatric Association identified four categories of child abuse, each, each equally severe. So what do we do with physical abuse? 
do we send the child back to the abusive parent and then send them to my therapy once a week and then I tell the child cope with being beaten by electrical cord? We send the child back to a sexually abusive parent and, and teach the child how to cope with being sexually abused by her stepdad? No. We protectively separate the child, recover the child's authenticity, and then restore with the abusive parent with enough safeguards to protect the child. Mm -hmm. right. That's what we do with all forms of child abuse. And what mental health people need to start stepping up and diagnosing pathology. Right. They're not over here in forensic psychology, everywhere else we do ADHD, autism, trauma, everywhere else in psychology, we diagnose before we treat, except forensic psychology. I got a question. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to answer your question from your perspective um, or from my perspective on what to do in that situation, um, which was why I was asking. I mean, you know, Dr. Childress will talk to you about, you know, the clinical part of it and, and how the mental health system is failing you. However, you do have contact with your son. So there are things that you can do as you're showing up for him, even in the little bit of time. Um, to remember that um, it's your role to parent and to lead him out. So to make it easy for him to be in relationship with you and um, manage your emotions outside of the relationship with him so that you can teach him how to manage, right? Instead of trying to get him to manage up, you're always managing down as the parent, right? So you're leading him. And right. Um, there are things that you can say and do and how you communicate with him that really leads him out. And one of the, the, I, I've coached hundreds of parents and a lot of parents that are, have adult children who say it's too late. There's nothing I can do. And they've worked with every expert on the planet and, you know, on alienation and they haven't covered their kids and they somehow find their cell them, themselves in my world. And the, you know, the, the skill that I love to share with everybody, how do you make it easy on your child is to start feeding healthy narcissism in the young child, which is start speaking to the child about the child, not about you. And um, to not needle the guilt button, which is, I'm, you know, I miss you. And, you know, that kind of stuff makes the alienated child feel bad because if they've done something negative to you, they feel horrible about it. And they don't know how to process that guilt. And I'm an adult child of alienation. And I was alienated from my father most of my life. My and um, even, even today, I feel, you know, guilt and shame for things that I did as a young person and said to my father. And so don't push the guilt button, really make it easy for them. And, and when I say feed healthy narcissism, that means talk about the child, you know, and what the child is doing and try not to ask a million questions, right? Because right. then they feel interrogated and they've got the, the other person, right? And so as you start communicating again and you're sending stuff in email, Spend some time finding as much information as you can that about your child, about the things that your child loves. So, you know, if your child loves yoga, you know, find every article ever written about yoga. You know, if your child likes, you know, um, race cars, find anything and everything you can find and then identify something specific that you can appreciate about the child. So when you're communicating with the child, 
you know, um, Eric, when you sent me the message to be on your show, I felt really honored to be a part of something new and great and to be able to come and provide something special for your for your viewers that will hopefully help them take the very next step that they need to take to kick the door open for reunification. So thank you so much for bringing me on. You know, when you can be specific like this in your appreciation, it really makes the recipient feel good. Wow, they, they really are paying attention to me. And, and don't be phony baloney about it, find something. And parents always say to me, I haven't seen my kids in a decade, I have no idea what they're like. And then upon further dialoguing with a new client, all of a sudden they tell me all these things about their kid. And I'm like, I thought you didn't know anything, right? Turns out they do. So when you start communicating with your child, unconditional love is a very lonely one way street. Yep. <laughs> it is. Well, doesn't we necessarily do. mean you're going to be loved back. It's but about loving. You are going to be loved back. Just maybe not from the child right away. So you get out of the world, what you put into the world. So please love your kids unconditionally. Dump into your children, fill their can with unconditional love. They may or may not respond. They may respond and say, F you, I can't believe you're doing that and leave me alone. And I don't want to have a relationship with you. But I can tell you, if you do this consistently, right. don't just do it one time and say, oh, I didn't work, forget it. They're never going to respond. Or they're like, they sent me the terrible message. And I, consistently. So spend time and the time is block off time on your calendar. People say my kids are the most important thing to me. And I'm like, how much time do you spend loving them? Well, they don't talk to me. I'm like, I don't care what they're doing. I'm asking you. You're about the adult. Yeah. You're the adult. So if it's four hours, spend four hours and find everything you can. I have parents tell me, oh my God, I did it. And then they responded back and said, I haven't liked that in 10 years. I like this now. Well, <laughs> oh my God. Right? So- right. Consistency is king or queen. Consistently love your children unconditionally. Make it easy for them to be in relationship with you. They will fold back in. And one of the big things, you one of your consistent themes is the communication. You have to communicate with a child differently than you communicate with, you know, your ex. Yes. Uh, like, for example, like, like my, my daughter, she's brilliant, intelligent girl, nine years old, okay? Uh, you know, she could be sitting on the sofa the wrong way and my mother will come and be like, get off that sofa. And she'll look at her and, you know, nah, I'm not going to do that. Right. Uh, but one of the things I've learned is that communication, the way my mother communicated that to my daughter, just in one ear, out the other, there was, you know, didn't sink in. Uh, one of the things I've done is I will actually, hey, you know, please get off the sofa. Don't sit on it like that. And this is why. When I give her the why, she listens. And, and, one other big thing with with the way you talk about communication, you know, I'm wondering if you've ever uh, listened to uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication program, because much of what you're you're talking about, and he actually passed away. But if you look it up on YouTube, Marshall Marshall Rosenberger, um, he has a three hour session about nonviolent communication and taking emotions out of how you communicate with people and and not. Uh, communicating, using words in an aggressive way. Um, so have you guys ever, ever, I've never ever heard of that, but listen, this is parenting 101, right? So most quality parenting courses should teach you how to, I call it, I have a course called conscious communication, consciously communicate with everybody around you. So I haven't heard of him, but I'm sure it's all the same. There's nothing new, right? It's, it's, you know, communication is the key to all successful, healthy communication is the key to all healthy, successful relationships. And, and 
communion is the reason for conflict. We have conflict because we're seeking connection and communion with people. That's how we are. That's how we're wired as humans. So when we have conflict, conflict happens to everybody. But how do you show up in conflict? And when you're in conflict with somebody, only one person gets to spin at a time. So when when you're fighting with somebody when, and they come in, you know, the rule should be, I can see that you're upset. Let me give me more. Tell me more about it. Give the one person time to empty their container. Don't react and respond. Just let them empty the container. So I, he probably talks about that too, but yes. you know, let only I, my husband and I talk about this all the time. Only one person spends at a time. Oh, it's you. Okay. I'll hold the space and holding people as a kitschy turn. No, I'm going to hold space. Everybody wants to do it, but nobody really knows how and holding spaces to allow the person to emote without taking it personally and without holding all the emotions inside of you, right? Give them the opportunity to get it out. Right. And, and the response should be a healthy response, which is, I hear what you're saying, or what I heard you say is, and be a receptive listener, but a receptive listening isn't like, okay, I'm waiting. Okay. What, okay. I got it now. Oh, wait, I got it. Oh, shoot. They said something. Now I got to trying to figure out what it is that you're going to say. Just be present with people when you're really authentically present with people and you really authentically listen, you know, right. even in these alienation situations, the kid loves you. Your child wants you to be a parent. Your child wants the chaos to stop. Your child chose you because they know you're the one who can do it. So, but if you get all ensnared in the conflict or you start having the conversation with the child about the other parent or about the conflict or about all this stuff, you're no better than the other parent. So stop doing that. Let them empty their container. So yeah, I haven't heard that person, but sounds amazing. Two two things I want to follow up with on that one one is you can see the difference between dorsey and i and our responses here and you can see why i refer over to her first I'm you know, it, because she <laughs> provides a lot on uh, my focus is over on the mental health people the other thing that i think she said that was very important among various things that, that were important i can translate into technical language all of what she said it's absolutely accurate um is empathy for the child mm-hmm. okay so she calls it connection it's empathy and And the empathy for the child, the child loves both parents, each parent. And so, uh, you know, a son's relationship with his dad, he just adores his dad. I just know that. A daughter to her mom. She just, these kids, they just absolutely love their mom and dads. That's total. And to be put in a position where they have to reject somebody they love so much, you know how hard that is? Oh, my God, that child has to do something that's so hard. They have to steal themselves to not feel any compassion, any love, so that they can do what's so hard for them. So when you come with love or you come with your stuff, and they respond with like they're intense, no, leave me alone, don't ever contact me, and all that stuff, it's empathy for where they are. You know, and just recognize how hard it is for them to be in that position. And don't worry, don't believe the nonsense. Don't, 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 no, no, no. That's just nonsense that they have to do to protect themselves. Right. But you stay in your truth of what you know is and don't respond to the fears. Don't get activated by any of this stuff and you stay present. Then you will find paths to connect with your child. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the route 
solve your trauma outside of the relationship with the children, right? Mm -hmm. You know, solve the trauma. You have complex trauma too. We Mm -hmm. all have little micro traumas from our childhood. Resolve that outside of the relationship with the child. So when you come into the relationship with the child, you're coming in as a leadership, right? The leadership role. And I want to say something here because a lot of people say to me, I got to have 50-50, you know, and it's got to fair and equal and fair. and, And yes, and no. If you don't have 50-50 right now, take what you have and make it the best. If it's five minutes on a phone, make it the best five minutes that you've ever had with that child every single time, right? So whatever the little kernel of time that you have with your child, if you show up happy, healthy, and whole, they're going to they're gonna want that time. They want it anyways, but they're going to appreciate the fact that you're making it easy for them. So whatever the time is, whatever you're fighting behind the scene fight, but with your child, whatever that moment is, be present. Don't let all the noise and the fight and all the bullshit that's going on impact your relationship with your children. Show up for your children, right? I've been co-parenting this situation since my kids were two and four. They're 19 and 21. I get hooked in it sometimes too. And I laugh at myself when I start to get hooked into the stupid argument about nothing. And I, you know, I want to, and I get into it, right? And then I'm like, wait, I teach, what am I doing, right? I get hooked into it as well. And I just, you can, even if you get hooked into it, it's okay. Just take the hook out, move forward. And, and if you, if you get involved in it, take responsibility for it. The fastest way to end a conflict is just take responsibility for it. You know, when my husband and I, when we get into tussle, I'm like, all right, you're right. He's like, and he wants to fight. I'm like, well, okay. There's you're nothing right. wrong with it. Like, all right. No worries. It's like, yeah. <laughs> You know, and he's like, well, I want to argue. I'm like, all right, well, I'll argue, but you're right. You know, <laughs> right. it's like, so, and, and I do it with my kids too, right? right? So there's, there's important difference between blame and responsibility. Yeah. Blame is a trauma word. Blame comes out of, tra- who's to blame so we can punish them. Mm-hmm. Right. Responsibility is a healthy word. And so if you, yeah, I'm yeah. screwed up. Oh, you're right. Right. That's responsibility. Yeah. Well, and I think that was a big thing with me. I had to take a step back and have some self-ownership and say, hey, before I can worry about what's going on with the other person, like, I've got to worry about what's going on with me. And, and let, me, yes. let me be very, very clear on this. With this pathology, the targeted parent is zero responsible. Right. The allied parent is 100% responsible for producing the pathology. So I want to be very clear on that. Why does that targeted parent feel all of the guilt, though? That's part of the trauma. Yeah, that's part right. of the trauma. It's, it's I've been there. Two generations. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and what this is, and I'm almost a little secret on the trauma, it's sex abuse trauma rippling through generations. So it's a sex abuse a generation or two before. So where do we get the rejection of a parent? is from that's the the source of but it was a generation or two before that is continuing to ripple through the family Mm -hmm. and is now showing up in a different fragment the child rejecting a parent okay and then we have the guilt you know we have the you know the various other features of this the shame uh shame is a huge one that the target parents made to carry the shame line felt it and then we have to prove that the parent is an inadequate parent and and it's all coming out of the trauma of the allied parent it's a reenactment of their own nonsense that they grew up in and kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of themes of the trauma here. Shame is a huge one. I'd like to say, I'd like to give a little, another little nugget of something for parents. One of the okay. things 
that a lot of parents are seeking from the children, especially if you have adult children, is why? Why did you do this? And parents say all the time, well, I know why, you know, I get the other parent, blah, blah, blah. But they still, when they start to reunite with their children, are seeking why from the child. Please don't do that. Find out the why. You know the why. Don't ask the why of the child. It's the fastest way to close the door uh, with an alienated child on the relationship and decades could go by. So please don't ask or seek why. And it's a sneaky little thing. And so all the parents that I work with say, oh, you know, I know why and all that stuff. And I would never seek that but they do. And, and I'm coaching adult children now that are seeking out my coaching and I'm personally working with them. And it's funny that even the parents that I've coached through this, and now I'm coaching some of their adult children. And I'm like, why are you asking the child? Why I told you not to, right? But they, but you have this just this wiring that we have because we, and we want to convince our children of something and we want them to under, and we also want them to understand why, because secretly, even though we say we don't, we want them to be mad at the other parent for what they did to them. And there's always about the child. Stop right. it. Don't well, do that. The child loves you both. Even if the other parent is completely um, pathogenic, they still love that parent. I got a lot of questions from everybody and I want to be able to touch on a little bit of all of them because we told everybody that they could. So if okay. we couldn't, you know, just maybe touch on them really quick. Stephen Gwynn, he said, how do you get an assessment proof of abuse if the current therapist denies, won't acknowledge that the alienator is the pathogenic parent? So first of all, um, you will probably need to seek counsel, have them seek counsel, ask them to do a professional consultation with Dr. Childress. I would provide them the, um, there's a ton of free stuff on the internet that Dr. Childress has put forward and, do and document it. So you're probably not gonna convince them of anything because now you're questioning their professional integrity and their um, competence. And so they're most likely gonna resist. And I think Dr. Childress's favorite quote is, don't try to teach a pig to sing. It, it only frustrates you and annoys the pig. Yeah, so you're probably not gonna educate them. It's not your responsibility to, however, please paper trail it. So email them the documentation. Don't let them get away with saying, well, that's what we're talking about and start using proper terminology. So get away from using the language of alienation and start using, you know, child psychological abuse, pathogenic parenting, use the emotional proper language, cutoff, emotional cutoff. Generational coalition. Uh, the moment you use emotional cutoff and cross-generational coalition, you require the therapist to know family systems therapy. Exactly. And so though, if, if you use the proper terms, then they will be required to, to use the proper language. Mm -hmm. Trauma-informed. I want a trauma-informed assessment. That means the multi-generational trauma. Yes, sir. And so we are, right. if you use the proper language, then you can get the, if you use parental alienation, you're going to get nonsense. They'll say, well, both parents are causing it. Maybe, I don't know. And it's not, it's not controversial. So stop using that word. Start using professional language. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, then the incompetence will fade away. I am available for professional professional consultation, as Dorsey said. If, if not, lay a paper trail, uh, applying knowledge is standard 2.04, knowing the knowledge is 2.01, doing a proper assessment is 9.01a, not harming anybody is 3.04. That means the targeted parent. They're not allowed to harm the targeted parent. So if they've reduced your time less than the maximum you're allowed, that hurts you. Mm -hmm. right. 
That's a violation of standard 3.04. They're not allowed to hurt you. But they'll say, oh, it's for the child's own benefit. No, they're not allowed to hurt you for any reason. They're not allowed to hurt terrorists. We're not allowed to hurt terrorists. Even though they have no knowledge, we're not allowed to hurt terrorists. We're not allowed to hurt anybody, even parents. <laughs> and, and they do. They hurt yes, you. That's a violation of 3.04. That's the short answer. Yeah. We got a, a bunch okay. of them. Uh, coming from Sean one, he said, the social worker the court had, the ex and IC, tells me it will traumatize my girls if I get them back too soon and 50-50 is not healthy. How can I combat this? He likes to remind me of what college he went to and shuts down any modern custody techniques I bring up. Same question or same answer. Same answer. Document yeah. it in writing to that person and then file a licensing board complaint and a malpractice lawsuit. <laughs> gotcha. Citing, that, that's nonsense. Citing all of that is nonsense. Codes. Everything that yeah, that person said bullshit. is nonsense. We want to restore the attachment bond as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. As okay. quickly as possible. Yeah. Claire, Claire like, said, if the trauma two year cycles. We don't want yeah. to lose uh, six months. Yeah. We want right. to solve this within three months. Within six weeks would be my preference. Absolutely. You don't have and I want to thank, I want to thank whoever just asked that question because it made me realize in my case with the state appointed evaluator, at that point, I probably should be filing for malpractice. Yeah, because, absolutely. Okay. They don't, the, the, the people don't care about specifics. They're not going to relook at specifics. Okay, the appeals court doesn't look at that. They look at procedures on the law. Mm -hmm. We look at the ethics code. What ethics codes were violated? And that's what they're going to want to want to know about. So if, if you have people that are interested in doing that, we actually have a special timeline process that we can do that's outside of all the other stuff we do in custody resolution. But if you have a licensing board complaint or malpractice lawsuit and um, you have those the notes and reports and stuff, just get in touch with us. And, you know, we can talk about how to actually collect that data and tag that data so that you in, in the framework of your your complaint so that you have everything you need to kind of put that out. And um, because I know a lot of parents, they ask us about this all the time and they don't know how to go about it so they don't do it and and i myself right like they're the, before i was like you know the cobbler's son so or cobbler's daughter so i i we actually have a process now of tagging that's separate than the custody resolution method for this one thing for board complaints and malpractice lawsuits so if you have data you know get in touch with us if you don't have enough we'll let you know we'll take a look at it and let you know okay gotcha. All right, this is coming from Claire Bowl. She said, if the trauma of the narcissist causes them to not want to face or even remember the trauma of their past, just how bad is that trauma? And couldn't it be that the narcissist grew up with two parents who are entitled narcissists, and this is just ingrained in them, and they may not have been traumatized? Well, I think it's traumatizing to be raised by two narcissistic parents. So, shows up. Yeah. Right. The narcissistic parent is responsible for child abuse. Yeah. And child abuse is a narcissistic parent. Yeah. The two are synonymous. Mm -hmm. um, right. and, and that's what the research demonstrates. And, and, um, yeah. and how bad is it? Who knows? I mean, nobody ever really knows. You can tell by the symptomology in the children. Right. Right. Erin Yeager asked for you, Dorsey. She said, how do we become a coach? <laughs> You email us at clientcare at coparentinginstitute.com and um, we'll send you the application and then you'll get on a call with me. And if it's some, if it's a good fit, we'll, we'll talk about it and we can um, go through the steps. Can you repeat that email address again, please? Yes. 
clientcare at coparentinginstitute.com. Now, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm licensed. Okay? And there's a reason for that. It, it sets a standard um, for things. That when we're licensed, we have a certain education. We have certain training. Coaches are not licensed. Psychologists don't like coaches. Okay? We, there's, a, there's a real divide you don't like between, me? between licensed people and coaches, which, which I think speaks something about the fact that Dorsey is a professional colleague of mine. Right. I have absolutely tremendous respect for her. She knows this pathology as well as I do. Okay. That's how you judge a coach is right. by product, by what, by what they do. Right. Okay. And, and so, and the, probably psychologists because my psychology people are really, <laughs> really bad. True. And so, and so judge by what they do. That's why you have to be an informed consumer. Yeah. That's why I put up a lot of information up on my website to help parents become an informed consumer. Consumer, they, they can look at these therapists who said, "Oh, we don't want to stress the child. The child's not ready," and they go, "That's nonsense." Or they look at a coach that says, "You should like prove parental alienation in court." And they go, "No, no, I don't prove pathology to a judge. We get it diagnosed right. by mental health." And so it's the content that you will be able to judge. Right. That makes so much sense. Like, like you said, keep it out of the courts. This is this is a medical problem. This is a mental health problem. This Luke, is not a social no, issue. Judges don't diagnose pathology. Why are you trying to prove a pathology to a judge? If you broke your leg, would you go to a judge to get treated? I know. Be, because this is a pathology. Yeah. It has parents doing the most difficult thing possible, proving an absolutely weak diagnostic model of this PAS to a judge at trial in court. Is that not the most difficult? Why don't we just get it diagnosed by a psychologist? We can do that in six, four to six weeks. There's something really important to say with regards to that. You know, I work in a lot of legal cases and um, we work with lawyers all over the world. And I think it's really important for you guys to understand that to prove alienation in court, first of all, is a fool's errand. But let's say that you do. Let's say you you're able to prove alienation and the judge says it's alienation. Well, now you have an appealable order because parental alienation is not a diagnosable thing. So now you're just giving the pathology, the pathogenic parent, a appealable order and they're appealing them. So I've worked on so many cases and, and look, I used to operate under that model because that's all there was, right? Now, once I started collaborating with Dr. Childress, I'm like, oh my God, an authentic diagnosis. This is really important. This is really important because cases that have come into the workshop that have been court ordered into the workshop, there've been some proving of alienation in court. But what's really interesting about those cases is the pathogenic parent, you know, stirs up a legal shitstorm after the kids have been removed temporarily and placed into the workshop. And they create a narrative because of this story of alienation. When they get my report, that's not what I'm talking about. And what's really interesting, I do an observational report of the workshop. What's really interesting is a lot of those medical psychology reports that have that vernacular have been thrown out of court in the court of appeals. So when these when these cases get, <coughs> up, 
that gets kicked out. So you can't confuse the narrative. You actually do have to pick a lane and you need to pick a lane that is a diagnosable pathology. If you're trying to prove alienation in court, or even if you have, it is a dead end street for you. And you're just empowering the pathogenic parent to appeal the order. Let's say over two years, you've proven parental alienation in court. What's the treatment for that? We have no idea. Let's say you spend four to six weeks and get a diagnosis of child abuse. What's the diagnosis? What's the treatment for that? Protective separation, right. uh, delusion, shared delusional disorder. The APA, American Psychiatric Association for Shared Delusional Disorder, says protectively separating the child will, will get rid of the symptoms. That's from the American Psychiatric. So if you get a real diagnosis, we have real treatments. Mm-hmm. If you get parental alienation, who knows? I have a court order right now for a high road and the judge said, well, I'm not going to say whether or not it's alienation or not, because, you know, the kid's been there for eight months. So we don't know, like, and all the alienated kids never spend time with their parents, which isn't true. That's just simply not a true statement. So if we go back to the language that's appropriate and you're actually having an authentic legal argument, a legal argument is child psychological abuse a legal argument of parental alienation. I don't care how many people have proved it in court. I'm telling you the APA doesn't accept it. It doesn't matter. And they may not appeal it, but they probably will. And even if you get an order that says something with alienation, oftentimes because they don't know how to solve it, they'll say, oh, but we believe it's harmful to leave the, to take the children from the parent they're bonded to. So all, all of a sudden, you spent all this time and money getting to this place of proving alienation only to have the judge leave everything exactly the same because they don't have a treatment for parental alienation because there really isn't one. And so stop, you've so, got to follow and, the and, right path. Right. And here's what happens is you get on parental alienation, you go into the family courts, they're going to order a child custody evaluation. Yeah. And so then you're going to get the six to nine months, 20 to $40,000 child. Stop that path. Ask for a trauma-informed treatment-focused assessment. Then you go to clinical psychology and you get a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Four to six weeks, $2,500. It's a much more efficient. We can get a hold of it. We can get a handle on the pathology. And it's a treatment issue, not a custody issue. The Mm -hmm. custody is a symptom. That's not the the cause. Mm -hmm. And so how do we restore the healthy, happy family for the child is a treatment issue move it into clinical psychology, into a treatment-focused assessment out of forensic psychology. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I got off on a little tangent, but... It's all right. Um, Gina and Della Cotto said, what do you do when the mental health provider has been drawn into the alienation of the target parent and is making the situation worse? The NPD custodial parent won't stop sending the minor child to counseling because the provider is doing the alienation for her now. That happens all the time. All so, the time. All the time. Hey, but guess what? I all actually got court ordered to work with a family and I started talking to that mental health provider, that person, and um, flipped the light bulb on. However, most of the time the light bulb doesn't switch on. So if you could get them to um, quit. That's the best scenario because they're completely useless and they're not going to help your family. They'll make it worse. Um, or if you have the ability to fire them, I would fire them, but I would do everything I get. I could to get your kid. I would sabotage it as much as possible because she is way worse than, than no therapy. Ask for a written treatment plan. Yeah. In clinical psychology, every mental health professional, ADHD, uh, school focused, uh, juvenile justice. If you ask me for a treatment plan, you'll get a, 
four to six page treatment plan out of me. It, in county funded stuff, we do treatment plans all the time. It's mandatory for county funded stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, a treatment plan, written treatment plan. It's not ever done over for forensic psychology. It's beneath professional standards of practice, what's happening over here. Ask for a written treatment plan. They'll go crazy, their head will explode, and they won't do it, they'll fire you. If they give you a re written treatment plan, send it off to Dorsey and let her take a look at it, and we might work up something um, around mm -hmm. problematic practices. Um, Aaron Yeager said for you, Dr. Childress, do you believe trauma-informed therapy works? Um, yes. The issue is the application of knowledge. So when you say trauma-informed, I'm going to assume that's going to be uh, Bessel van der Kolk on the trauma reenactment. Um, and I'm going to assume it's going to be Murray Bowen in multi-generational trauma, which is the emotional cutoff. So now we're into family systems therapy and we're applying uh, transgenerational trauma concepts. So yes, if the knowledge is applied, it will, uh, th that's the treatment because you've diagnosed what the pathology is. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Linda Conrad said, do you think it would be an ethics violation if the parenting coordinator had knowledge of and allowed the alienating parent to enroll the child in counseling with the alienating parent's own personal divorce counselor? That would, that would be, um, the, you'd have to look at the ethics code on that. Um, that would be potentially a boundary violation. Um, but I don't know, what's the, what's the ethics code? I would look at what knowledge is being applied 2.04 um, and, and what, what knowledge is known, standard 2.01a. Then I would look at standard 9.01a as to whether or not a proper assessment was done. Did, they, did the, the new therapist assess for IPV spousal abuse? Did they assess for child psychological abuse? If so, how? And if they didn't, well, then that's a failure in their duty to protect. And so we just stay on professional standards of practice with them. It, you identify what ethics codes are involved. Absolutely. Jerry Trickery said, why aren't parents and children court ordered to attend therapy, not mediation after divorce and breakup? Be grateful they're not. Most of them aren't qualified. Yeah. The, the, we want to keep this down. Uh, I was asked to speak up at the Law Society of Saskatchewan as part of a panel and part of a thing they did. And I was a morning talk and then they had a lot of legal professionals talk in the afternoon and, and panel. And they have a nice stepwise approach where you start with the lowest form of intervention. So the trauma-informed uh, communication skills, first off, for families to come into the family courts. Then you move up into um, uh, the uh, collaborative law. If that doesn't work, then you move into trauma-informed mediation. If that doesn't work, then you go over and get a clinical psych assessment for the diagnosis of pathology and treatment. But you want to start at the lowest levels and move your way up. Right. And so mediation would be like one of those early things that you'd want to keep it low key on, but right. it needs trauma informed. Uh, typically mediation goes for the middle, but when you have this degree of pathology, middle gets really skewed. And so the mediator has to know what actual middle is and not what. The but, true answer yeah. answers. I don't know. And neither does he, why <laughs> they order into mediation and not therapy, but be grateful. Most of the people in the family, the legal system with from a mental health perspective are incredibly incompetent. So yeah. with trauma therapy, um, there's the death traumas. So okay. that's with electrical cords, that's being sexually abused. That's that's the serious stuff. Um, and that's that's going to produce one set. There's a second type called complex trauma. That's Bessel van der Kolk. 
And that's a long-term low-grade stress that becomes traumatic because it's just continual low-grade stress. Is that con considered CP, CPT? Yeah, complex trauma. CPT. Okay, that's what I want. It's not okay. in the DSM, and so, but complex trauma is recognized within everybody who works with child trauma. Uh, and Russell Vandercoat's highly regarded, and um, and his his crowd, and the the treatment for that is more relational. What trauma is going to do is produce anxiety brain, and we have to create a secure attachment, lower the anxiety, and and you have to really know what's going on in the various brain systems. But um, yeah, so there's two different types of trauma therapy. What parents, what I'm recommending is parents go into the court to ask for an assessment is to use the word trauma-informed assessment. Okay. Uh, trauma-informed treatment-oriented, which shifted into clinical psychology. Trauma-informed will indicate the type of knowledge that needs to be applied. And then it's up to the mental health professional to apply it. When it comes to treatment, all treatment should be on a written treatment plan. Absolutely. Um, John Mass said, my children's therapist has refused to talk to me even after being asked to work with me by social services. What would you suggest I do? The a therapist who is refusing to work with a parent, um, I'd want I'd want to document why that <coughs> because the child's individual therapist will frequently give the idea that it's it's some sort of confidentiality issue. First question off of me is who holds the consent rights? Um, if, if it's jointly held rights to consent, then parents have a right to information. Um, you're not allowed to treat some a child without telling the parent what you're treating them for. So I would ask again for a case conceptualization, a written summary and a treatment plan. What's going on? Tell me what's going on. Put it in writing. If they're not willing to do that, then we're looking at standard 10.01 a about informed consent for treatment. Informed consent for treatment has to be both informed and you agree. There's two parts of that. If you're not informed, you cannot agree. Informed consent came off of the World War II and the Nazi medical experiments. We really take that really, really seriously. Right. We don't do treatment on people who don't know what's happening and don't agree to it. And so if you, if that you become an informed consumer, that's, that's worrisome. If a parent doesn't know what their child's treatment is, if your child's going to a medical doctor and they're not telling you what the treatment is, that's a little scary. What's the diagnosis for my child? We're not telling you. What's the treatment you're doing? We're not telling you. It's insane. It, yeah. it, it, it's intolerable what's happening to families and it's, Parents it's, are treated with such contempt and disgusting. disrespect, absence of empathy. You were talking about your situation with your child. My heart was breaking listening to you. Oh, my God, normal range empathy. These right. mental health people have no empathy. Oh, my God. We're supposed to be the mental health people with empathy, and they have none. It is insane what it's is happening. Insane. They are being brutalized and abused by the psychology people. I am treating the trauma in parents caused by my professional colleagues. Do you know how nuts that is? It is nuts. <laughs> and yet it's happening. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh Just my some more God. questions? Yeah. I do. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to ask this because I, I come under this criticism a lot myself. So I'm just a targeted parent. 
I have no formal training. I just, we started this podcast because we wanted to help people like us that are going through the same situation. A lot of times we ask for help donations, people, you know, instantly we get attacked by the very people that we're trying to help. That'd be the first ones. Oh, they're trying to make money off of broken parents. It's like, we're not making money here. Not, not here. We're not. We're, we're trying. We would like to be able to take care of our families off of this because we're putting our hearts and souls into it. But everybody's saying this is cash for kids. What's going on? You know, and I'm seeing this. Guys, it takes money to run a business. Can you talk a little bit about this? Let me, let me, let me run this. Because I'm a psychologist. That's what we do for a living is we help people. Right. We make our living off of other people's suffering. That's what we do. Now, we make our living because we solve it. So that's what we do for our living is. And, and so and I would, my treatment plans typically run three to six months, a year for autism, but ADHD, most other stuff, I'm looking at a three to six months treatment plan. And that's what a good clinical, we work ourselves out of a job, but the better clinical psychologists are going to charge more money because we do it faster and better and do it effectively. The ones who don't know what they're doing, you're going to get, you get what you pay for. So that's one component. The second about this particular pathology, that's a flying monkey argument. Mm -hmm. And, and what I've done to address that flying monkey argument is I put a lot of stuff online. I could withhold stuff and make parents come to me and ask for a consultation. Instead, I just post it. You don't have to come to me. I've already told you, I've given you, I'm giving away stuff pro bono for these, because the trauma is so severe. And my ethical responsibilities are so great. Now, the flying monkeys attack Dorsey big time because she's a businesswoman. She's not a psychotherapist. She's not here to solve your problems. She is doing it. She is effective. She's got intellectual property. She's got a lot of expenses. Doing this is hard work. She's in danger. She puts herself in danger. She has lawyers to deal with the flying monkeys. And so the fact that people make money is not an issue if they solve it. What I have a problem with is twenty dollars to $40,000 for a child custody evaluation that solves nothing. Mm-hmm. That is mere exploitation. Clinical psychology can bring in, a, in a, the most complicated assessment, autism features with trauma and prenatal drug exposure in a seven-year-old in foster care. Massively complicated. We can bring in an assessment in four to six weeks for about $2,500. Why can't forensic psychology bring in an assessment of the, your families for under twenty to forty thousand dollars in six to nine months because they're the only game in town. They have no competition. It's sealed by the court. They have no review. They've grown big, fat, and lazy, and they're exploiting families financially. That I have a problem with. If you solve it, that's great. I'd like to address it too because I am a businesswoman and um, I'm also a formerly alienated child and a targeted parent and step parent and. You know, when I went in search of an answer for a solution, there wasn't one. There were a lot of experts in this thing called parental alienation and what not one person solving it. And the one person who was actually solving it said, well, I can't really help you because you have a relationship with your kids and you're an adult. So just reunite with your dad. So I spent a lot of time, energy, money, building a business and figuring out the solution. 
feel free to solve it for yourself. I solved it for myself. Nobody solved the crisis in my family and I busted my solve it. I also do run a business and I'm under attack, just like you guys are under attack <laughs> we are. for everything. I warned you about this um, when you first started and, and other young people who've come into this space. And, and, you know, I get attacked by targeted parents as much as I do flying monkeys and alienating parents. And I didn't cause the problem in your family. Dr. Childress didn't cause the problem in your family. And you are part of the problem in your family. That's your family. You chose to have children with a pathogenic parent. Oops, so did I, and I solved it. And while I love offering a solution, I also give a lot of content away for free. I do these things all the time. Implement what I teach you. You don't even have to pay me a dime. Implement. If you implement what you've heard tonight, guess what? You have a greater chance of recovering your kid than you do about having to pay somebody for the services they offer. The, the, um, once we solve this on my side, um, from the mental health people, and start getting diagnoses, we solve it for everybody. Now, where are we at with that? As far as as far as it being an accepted um, nationally and globally. An accepted um, diagnosis. At with accepting that delusions oh. exist. Yeah. Right. Where are we at? That's an established fact. Shared psychotic disorder, shared delusion. That's an established fact. APA, World Health Organization. Where are we at with family systems therapy cross gender? That's an established fact. So the, everything's an established fact. It's just whether or not we apply knowledge. Yeah. So right, where right. are we at with the abject ignorance? In mental health. <laughs> well, they're still abjectly ignorant. Good mental health people out there. I'm in contact with them. Okay, they, they're getting consulting and they're, they're doing stuff. So there are good mental health people out there. And that's a secret column we have coming. We are going to get more and more of them entering. Well, I'm not going to try to educate ignorance. Don't try to teach a pig to sing. And so I'm not going to go to try to teach ignorance. I'm going to, we're going to get non-ignorant people coming over and doing the right thing. It's a diagnosis. And the diagnosis is not actually very complicated. The child is believing that they're being victimized. They're presenting as being victimized. Is that true or false? First question. If it's true, it's child abuse by the targeted parent. If it's false, it's a persecutory belief. The question then becomes how false? Use the brief psychiatric rating scale to anchor your symptoms. You'll typically find that this pathology, if the child has acted on the false belief, then it's going to be at least a four, probably a five, which makes it a severe persecutory delusion. You now have the diagnosis. The child has a severe persecutory delusion. Then the question, how does the child acquire that? Shared delusion. It's the parent's persecutory delusion that the child is acquiring. We now have a shared delusional pathology. That's a World Health Organization F24. That's the diagnosis. So all of that is already in the, we can, mental health professional, you come into my practice, that's the diagnosis you're getting for this pathology. So the point is, it's already there. It's, it's the problem there is years. there's a distraction with trying to prove something else. So it, it we, so your question is, when are we going to get there? I don't know. I guess when mental health providers start acting competently. Follow the it doesn't sound like we need to get there because there are these, like we mentioned earlier, these are all things we can already apply in court because we're, we're, what we're actually looking for is a top diagnosis, but that doesn't mean going into court or going through your system that we can't apply those other diagnoses and they just don't have the big label at the top right now. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, we got a question from Americans for Equal Shared Parenting, the uh, the Louisiana chapter, said the mother was arrested for domestic violence, but charges refused by DA. The two-year-old child in video said mommy did that when asked about a bruise on forehead. There were other photos of bruises to same spot on forehead with proof child was with his mother. This was provided to custody evaluator who said no evidence of IPV or child abuse in his reports. Attorneys won't go to court and drag out attempts to settle. Mother is protected by all involved. Advice. <laughs> Don't know. Have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Because, because one of the things I cannot give advice based on um, if I haven't done an assessment about right. a specific situation, yeah. because what if uh, some of that information is not true? Right. And I wind up giving advice. And it's not true. What abusive parents Absolutely. you are, I tell them how to deal with you as an abusive parent, and none of that's true. So one of the contact things, Dr. C. <laughs> and yeah. find out. We look at when we tag a timeline is all the data. So I can't tell you how many people will call us and tell us how terrible the other parent is. I'm like, I'm sure that's all true, fine and dandy and yippee skippy. And let me see the data because the way people communicate with each other, um, the way they file reports, you know, how the system handles it. You know, when you look at that one piece that they're sharing with you, we have no idea. But when you start to look at all of the data in a family case, right, in a, how people are before, during and after, um, it's pretty telling. And, you know, oftentimes people that will hire us are also pathogenic. They're just not alienating the children. They're just have a slightly different bit of the pathology. So, you know, but again, we're not going to say, oh, you're pathogenic too. So you're out. We're going to do what we can to coach them in recovering themselves and their children and moving to some type of shared parenting when possible outside of the courtroom. And right. sometimes people that do their timelines, they actually mediate because they realize they're able to show a narrative where the other parent is like, oh, I don't want to go before the court. So with a little piece of information like that, when somebody calls us or even we have hundreds of emails like that, you know, the answer is like, that's all great, fine and dandy. We'd have to see the whole picture and we can't really give you advice. And I'm not a lawyer and neither is he. And, right. you know, generally speaking, let me say this forensic psychology, child custody evaluations apply zero <laughs> knowledge from the last 100 years of professional psychology, zero knowledge from the last hundred they are in violation of standard 2.11, 2.04, principle D, a principle of the ethics code, a basic principle D. They're in violation on two counts of that, child custody evaluations. They are not worth the paper they are printed on. They are, <laughs> they are worthless pieces of garbage and for twenty dollars to $40,000. Yeah. So the issue becomes raising the level of professional competence and knowledge that's applied. Yeah. Absolutely. We got uh, about time for one more question. We're going to have to wrap it up. We got another podcast coming up after this, guys. So we hope it <coughs> sticks around. Um, Jonathan Kendall said, in the event I request a clinical treatment plan as a devoted father emotionally cut off from my own children, how do I enforce this matter by staying out of the civil court system? That's going to be tough. You're going to have to get the, the therapist and the court to work together. Mm -hmm. What we will ultimately be moving towards is pilot programs in the family courts. Um, uh, we're, what we're suggesting is that um, court systems adopt uh, three pilot programs, develop three. 
uh, we have one here, ABA, ABPA, and the high road would be one model. Develop two more, whatever you want. Develop three, get a university involvement, and, and uh, do the research, find out what works, and then do that. Now, with the ABPA and high road uh, protocol uh, for the, the pilot program, what we are recommending is the appointment of an amicus attorney, not a minor's counsel. That is the worst thing ever. Don't appoint a minor's counsel. Guardian is not so good either, but better than the minor's counsel for several reasons. But what we <laughs> want is an amicus attorney, an attorney who works for the court because the court has a legitimate interest in the child's treatment. That amicus attorney would then interface and become part of the tr child's treatment team with the therapist. And so the th therapist and the amicus attorney can go to the court and get the proper orders that are supportive of therapy. That will be ultimately the solution we'll be reaching in a couple of years as things start to move forward and change. Um, but that's the solution. In the we need the family courts because the narcissistic borderline is going to drive it into the family courts. Awesome. Dorsey, Dr. Craig, thank you so much for coming to Dad Talk today. And uh, we had an amazing discussion. I, I can't thank you enough for the things that we've talked about. And I think at the end of the day, guys, we all just want to see this thing ended. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. You actually made me feel really good about some of the things I went through and possibly got the gears turning in my head as to some solutions that I never thought of. And I think if you were able to do that for me, you were probably also able to do that to everybody or a lot of people who listen tonight. Uh, before we sign up, how can people contact you? How can people Absolutely. say, hey, Dorsey, this Dr. Childers, how can I get your help? Where do they go? What do they do? I'm really hard to, to locate because my email address is very complicated. Dr. Dr. Craig Childress at gmail.com. Wow. That's a really tough email. I do not take phone calls because if I take phone calls, my day just gets chewed up. Right. And my, my message thing just gets overwhelmed and it takes me hours to clean up. Contact me by email. I may not always respond, but contact me by email. Okay. Perfect. You can't respond to everybody though. No. Right. I mean, guys, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm new to this. These two have been around for a long time and I find myself so backed up on emails. We don't have time to sit there and listen to everybody's story as much as we want to. We care, but it's time consuming. And you know what? It's also a big weight on your shoulders. You care about everybody. So when you reach out, make sure you know that you know what the message is and letting them know what you need help with. Right. And how about Dorsey? Dorsey, how can how can people contact you? Yeah, so you can email us at clientcare at coparentinginstitute.com. I have a team. We, we respond to all of our emails faster than he does. And, um, and when you, when they send us an email, you know, let us know what's going on. You know, I'm in court. I have X number of kids here, their age. Um, I have a parenting plan. I don't have a parenting plan. What do you, and what do you want? So, you know, it's important for me to understand, you know, what do you want? Um, what are you looking for help with? And, um, or you can call us at 888-379-7279. Um, and you'll, you know, you'll be directed to somebody on my team. Um, and, you know, we're here to help. You can also go to our website at www.consciouscoparentinginstitute.com. And we have a lot of free resources there. And Dr. Childers has, you wanted to tell him about well, your new well, website. Well, yeah, the, um, also there's a, a professional consultation thing I wrote because people are asking yeah. me the same questions over and over. So it's up on my website. I'm also 
a surprise for people, I'm developing a new website that should be coming up in about a week. Um, okay. it's, it's, and right now, it's, the working site is over on uh, thechildressinstitute.com. So if you want to go look at it right now, you can see it on there. As soon as I get all the material transferred over, I'm going to um, close down the other site, move the domains names over. So I will have a whole new brand new website and I'll be putting these types of consultation resources on the website. If I say things over and over again, might as well just give it to everybody and save them a dime. Um, right. Absolutely. The best, the best way to, to get my involvement, I would say, is to contact Dorsey. She knows how to use mental health professionals. Um, if you're an attorney, want to consult, that's great. If you're a mental health professional, want to consult, get a hold of me. Um, parents, I'd send to Dorsey. She's got a lot of solutions, and then we can work it in. Right. And they also have a group <coughs> on Facebook, guys, where you can keep oh, up with normal that. updates. Yeah. The yeah. Alliance to Solve yeah. Parental Alienation. <laughs> it was one of the first groups I got involved with when I yeah. started going through parental alienation. The Alliance, um, that's cutting edge me. And so I, that's coming out of me. And so you're looking about 18 months ahead is when it's going to start to integrate into the, the world. But it gives you a sense of where to where things are headed. And what I hope to have with that is both the parents, but also attorneys and mental health people. Mm -hmm. right. And I try to stay fairly active looking around things and providing just input from psychology about general stuff. And so um, it's a resource for all people, mental health people, attorneys, everybody who wants to know about how we approach a solution rather than constant arguing and bickering and round and round. Interesting. Guys, thank you so much. We got to get ready for the next uh, podcast, but this has been an amazing talk and, and seriously, thank you so, so much. This has been an episode of Dad Talk Today with your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for being here today, Dad. It means the world to us. Join us next week as we release a brand new podcast. And until then, visit us over at www.dadtalktoday.com where you can find merchandise that helps support this podcast as well as a contact form where you can send in your questions, concerns, comments. You just need to reach out to somebody, need somebody to talk to. Send us that email, brother. If you're here, you're family. Until then, we will see you next time. Stay cool. Stay dead.